0: Revenue Rhino, I'm Brad Hammond, and this is the Lifelong Customer Podcast. We're interviewing successful sales and marketing leaders and discussing ways in which they're building lifelong relationships with their customers. Welcome to the Lifelong Customer Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Hammond, and today I have Mike Rogers. It's really nice to have you on.
1: Thanks. It's really a pleasure to join you today. And I've been looking
0: forward to this. Yeah, me too. I'm really excited to have you on. So tell me a bit about yourself and your background. I guess the best way
1: to describe my background, and I I think of it in two different phases of my life, really. And it started out with a keen appreciation for marketing and a passion for it, branding, all forms of advertising. When I, got out of, when I got out of my graduate school at the University of Denver, I was very interested in what I could do in terms of understanding consumer behavior and, and all of that, and immediately dove into the advertising marketing agency environment and went from an agency in Denver that was a leader in the Mountain West, carrying a lot of technology brands, by the way, like Hewlett Packard and so forth, and then got a promotion and moved to Detroit, of all places. And I say of all places because that's not exactly a technology hotbed, but I was as interested in the marketing problems that uh, the agency was trying to solve for its cross section of automotive clients, automotive aftermarket and so forth, but also any new clients they could attract and then trying to take the best of that thinking together and generate a lot of new business for the agency. And we grew the agency, opened up a New York office, and I moved there as a general manager. And I really got an opportunity to work across not only technology, but the travel industry as well. And then eventually, because of my background in tech, was able to work on with a whole bunch of really talented people on the IBM account for, oh gosh, five years. And then from there, I shifted into sales. I went to work for a company called IDG, International Data Group, which is the largest publisher and researcher in the high technology category, and worked for them for six years, uh, building their business worldwide. And then and that was my pivot. I when I went from marketing into sales. And then from there, I met. I went out to the West Coast and started doing startups where marketing was obviously an essential, had to be an essential factor in the success. But I was really focused on sales, how to build revenue for startups. And that was really exciting uh, because you got a chance to grow some brand new companies and take ideas, just sheer ideas straight to the market and and grow them and had some pretty successful exits. And- um, but for the most part, it was a way to marry my marketing background with my sales background in an environment where that was exploding. My wife always likes to say that I'm like a moth to the flame. I had to go to New York City and work there to, as the old saying goes, that if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. And as if that wasn't enough, I had to leave there and go to Silicon Valley and prove my mettle there. So it's been an exciting ride, no doubt. And the excitement continues because with all the changes that are going on in the world, much less with COVID, uh, the challenges to marketing and sales have never been more challenging and more exciting to learn and work in.
0: Oh yeah. I love that. That's so awesome. So you obviously have a ton of experience when it comes to marketing and even sales. What are some key concepts that you learned and implemented these different organizations and places that you worked and all that. I was reflecting on that probably
1: the last 24 hours since I was thinking about how I might respond to that kind of question. I think more than anything, it's listening to your customer and not listening to pitch something. That's the easiest thing to do. Sometimes people don't even listen, they just pitch. But It's listening to understand whether you can help that customer and what that help might look like. And in today's world of COVID, I think it's even more important that listening be as thorough as possible so that you understand really where they're coming through. The issue is really thinking through how they're trying to solve the problems that they face. You may have to create a whole new product to help serve them, or in some cases, go reach out to some of your own competitors that may want to work with you or people that are have additional products that you can bolt onto yours, whether it's software or services, that can best meet that client's needs. Too many times companies will only look to solve problems that are within their dimension, their singular product solution, and not really think about, gee. I know Bill and his company solves this problem. If I can solve that problem and then add my solution to that, then I'm really solving the client's total problem. And don't be afraid to challenge yourself to do that. It's more work, more coordination. In the long run, you build a strong relationship because you built a proper solution for the client, a bespoke one, certainly, but one that's better for them. And I think over the long haul, you are building a relationship that will last far beyond your tenure with the company. There's been, I've worked at a lot of startups and those companies have been really successful. And I'd I'd always like to think that it was the initial track I laid down that an attitude in the culture we built that sustained them through some of the tough times. And, and some, Mm. and a lot of that is just listening.
0: I love that. So I'm sure you got like many stories from uh, listening and, and working through different challenges and whatnot. What are some of your uh, great stories here? There's a
1: lot of great stories. I guess I would start out by saying that sometimes your management, your upper management will limit your scope of work, right? And mm-hmm. so you have to end up selling your own management on solving bigger problems. And when you do that, then some, more often than not, their eyes are open to, gee, maybe if we offer those additional services, we could garner that revenue or that partnership with them would be really important. A good example might be when I worked at IDG, we were always looking for solutions to try and solve problems. And you might work across, for example, we had over 112, I believe it was 112 magazines, newspapers, websites around the world. Different brands. Hmm. And when a client would launch a product worldwide, they really needed total coverage around the world. And we were lucky enough to have uh, a network that could pull that off. But it also means making sure that you listen about, and in those days, trade shows were really important. So we would build out programs that included trade show rollouts and timed with the different regions' important trade shows. Nowadays, you don't have trade shows, you have virtual events. And most of those are created by the company itself. I would think that in the case of IDG, we would try to do as much omni-channel marketing, but you'd really look at how you would integrate with your existing resources and others that are out in the marketplace and build partnerships. So at IDG, we were really aggressive about that. Then even at, I would say, even in a couple of my other startups that I worked at, just being able to think about the total solution not just your little niche in it is really critical and the clients i found are always very appreciative you have some that are more appreciative than others but most of them in marketing today are looking for ways to reduce their the amount of complexity in their channel so if you can streamline it as much as you can that that'd be great i don't know that i can right off the top of my mind think of a specific example but those are some general ideas you know a true influence my company I worked at most recently, we would look at opportunities to join with other partners across the industry, whether they were data partners. We provided lead generation solutions, which included content syndication and such. Hmm. Um, But we would look for data partners so we could refine uh, the targeting better. We'd look for software solutions to help the client better streamline their own lead generation internally and better qualification of prospects. So Hmm. to get people faster through the funnel and constantly trying to test them. A good example, I think that uh, in today's time is looking to add value to the process beyond just selling your own programs. If you wanna build long-term success with a customer and the, one of the ways that IDG, and the thing I learned most from IDG was to use research about your customer or your industry to help build your knowledge base, but also to build trust and confidence in your customers. So we would go to extreme links to field research across prospects to find out how many are in the market, how big the opportunities might be, how fast the technology was changing, and do that research and then come back to them and say, this should inform you in your own sales activities, but more than that, should help inform how you pitch your clients and not only that in, t- in today's terms, how you r- build out content. So mm-hmm. on your website, on PDFs you send out to customers and so forth. But research, a lot of clients are very reluctant and don't have line item budgets for specific research. But if you can bring that to the table, it means a lot in building trust and confidence in you because you know the market, the industry, you're close to them, that's the value that you bring.
0: I love that, that's awesome. So what what other key advice would you give for other marketing leaders listening and those on their teams? Some key takeaways B, from well,
1: you. You know, today with COVID and the, the biggest challenge, I think, in most sales organizations is just how to deal with COVID and how to deal with reaching out to your customers and building trust through the computer screen is essentially what you're trying to do. So you have to build, you have to really work on what is your brand, what does your brand mean? What does a company stand for? What does a brand stand for? And then finding ways to build trust around that. I still think, and I'll probably say this for a long time because I think it's an evergreen topic, it's research on the industry and research on the functions that your prospect's interested in. You're going to find that in any industry, whether, you know, in any, particularly if it's software, you're going to know the industries that are most important to you. You want to know the dynamics in that industry, how fast they're changing, who the decision makers are, and generally what they're willing to spend. In some cases with software, it's what else is in the software stack? And inside that stack, what are the issues in terms of implementation of that software? Not just one piece of it, but the integration of it. And so the more knowledge you have about that today, because that's constantly changing. Some vendors fall out. They don't they don't reinvent themselves to stay in step with the market. So the stack is changing. And having knowledge about that and bringing that to the table day in and day out always builds trust and builds confidence in you because you know the market. And that's always going to get you a meeting. That's always going to get you a meeting as far up the food chain as you design the research. And I think that's an evergreen topic. The other thing I might add is more often than not, the management will want you to call to the highest decision maker. And that is a knee-jerk response. That's, that's what you have to do. And you you should always do that but i think a lot of the a lot of people working in sales and marketing for that matter forget everybody else they don't really work hard to cultivate the other people that are involved in that decision making cycle decision making and there's a lot of people that are involved in decision making for buying a particular software much less how it's going to integrate in a stack and i'm focusing on software now but it could be any product in manufacturing that's got to integrate into an, a manufacturing process. You still got to understand all that. And we tend to not call on or emphasize all the other decision makers that are in the cycle because it's perceived to be inefficient. But you'd be surprised how easy it is to make sure your brand is known, to make sure that you've reached out to them and touched them whether it's through advertising or through distribution of content about your company and about your solutions just the simple attempt to pay them respect and make sure if they have any questions you can answer help answer them will go a long way in speeding up the decision process and and getting a positive decision on on a purchase if you will
0: totally love it what? hey mike thanks so much wow. for joining the podcast really appreciate it. I appreciate you sharing all your wisdom here.
1: Thanks a lot, Brad. And I'm happy to join you. If you have anything else you need from me, let me know.
0: Appreciate
1: it.